The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am delighted to welcome my guest, Mr. Byron Kaminick. He is the founder of Jack's Solar Garden and executive director of the Colorado Agrivoltaic Learning Center in Boulder County, Colorado. It is the largest commercially active agrivoltaic system in the United States. Mr. Kaminick is a former U.S. diplomat and a returned Peace Corps volunteer. He holds an MS in environmental engineering from the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Welcome, Byron. Thanks for having me. Well, I am thrilled because I think what you are doing there in Colorado is revolutionary and has the potential to change the way we farm in the future. So I want to go back a little bit to your history. Now, you worked in Africa for about six years. What did you learn from your experience there that you brought forth here? A lot of the time I spent in various parts of Africa working with uh, different communities, different uh, ethnicities, people with different backgrounds. So it was a lot of learning how to translate from one, not just one language to another, but also one discipline to another or or figuring out how to communicate your interests to others or or decipher what people are telling you as to what is possible within an area as far as working on building projects or helping the community or simply making your way in life in those areas. So a lot of what I got from my time spent abroad was learning to communicate with people. And then being a a diplomat, that was a lot of the bureaucracy side. So I got to learn a lot about working with government, how it functions, who are the type of people that work within the government, and how to work with those folks. And as we will learn, those are critical skills that came in very handy with this project of yours. So in 2016, you moved to your family's 24-acre farm south of Longmont, Colorado. What was it that led you back to the farm? Well, honestly, I I didn't have a place to live at the time. I had just resigned from being a diplomat and through hike the Appalachian Trail. And by the time I was done, I didn't have any better idea of where to go. I think I was 33, 34 at the time. And... I, there was nobody living here at the farm. So I decided, you know what, how, how about I move out here, uh, get a better connection to the land that my parents come out to every summer to take a break from their life in uh, Tennessee. And then my brother is also here in Boulder County. So I thought it would be interesting to move out here, have a, a better connection to the farm and and see how to have a, a life here in the U.S. I, I had no idea that going down this path of being here would be I would be building a solar array or or learning more about uh, farming and agriculture. I was still doing consulting work where I would bounce back and forth to different parts of Africa for a few years. And I thought I would just travel or live back overseas again. But I have a, a strong sense that I wanted to be more a part of the community in which I lived versus how I'd spent my previous two decades of 
constantly bouncing around from place to place and wanted to work on a, a project, wanted to uh, work on connecting with my community where I lived versus in somebody else's community. Well, I'm really curious about the transition of this farm. And if I'm understanding correctly, the farm had been growing and selling hay for about 50 years, but it was no longer paying the bills. So you enter the scene and you've got an idea to bring in agrivoltaics. You should explain what agrivoltaics is. Agrivoltaics is the coupling of clean energy through solar energy with agriculture. So it's uh, solar panels above agricultural activities, which could be sheep or growing lettuce or a variety of different types of agricultural activities, even towards growing raspberries or apple trees underneath solar panels. People are doing it in different parts of the world. But the shade that the solar panels provide to the plants as well as to land create different microclimates that can help enable different types of plants to prosper in those areas or others to be hindered. So it's figuring out how to use those microclimates created by the solar panels to optimize the growth of select crops or helping out with different types of vegetation for uh, livestock to be able to feed on. So did you see any of this going on in Africa? No. So how did you become aware of it and want to engage with this technology on your land? The idea started with just trying to figure out how to make a buck on our land. Like growing hay wasn't making any money worth anything. I think two years ago when I was haying our, just our east pasture, I think I made $5 an hour, which, you know, that's not worth much anymore. So I wanted to figure out some other way. And I, I tried to go through the county to figure out if we should put our land into a conservation easement. They said we were too small. So no way of getting a little bit of money from the government to just keep growing grass. I tried to find other types of agricultural activities that we could do on the land, but being in a floodplain, we couldn't build additional structures out on two of our pastures. And just the economics of having like 5,000 free range chickens was not something I was interested in getting involved with at the time. So I had a friend in the solar industry that came to the farm one day and said, you got flat land, you're next to a three-phase line, you're only a couple miles from a local substation, you're in a good shape for building a solar array so you can tie it into the grid as a community solar garden and sell your electricity, you should look into that. So I did. I figured out that we could build a one megawatt system on our farm, something enough to power about 300 homes, and took that idea to the county and said, how about I build this on my land? And they said, no, your land's for farming, so go back to it. I didn't care much for that. So for the next year, I had a mix of arguing and working with them to change their land use code at the end of 2018 that allowed for us to be able to build a solar array on our land and also change the land use code for everybody else in the county so other folks could do it too. And at the same time, we want to bid with Excel Energy to tie into the grid as a community solar garden. During that time frame, I think in early 2018, I was trying to find money to build the system since I'm not a wealthy person and came across a friend of a friend that worked for the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in agrivoltaics. And that fella, plus a professor from the University of Arizona, came out to our farm and brought me a pretty crappy beer that was made from honey underneath solar panels. And I, I didn't care much for the beer, but I like the idea of keeping the land functional underneath solar panels. So those two gentlemen 
uh, credit with getting me the idea for making adaptations to the solar array to enable for agricultural activities to occur. Okay, so let's talk about what you're doing under these panels. And unlike other kinds of solar farms, you've got the panels high enough where you can grow crops underneath them, as you explained. How tall are the panels? We have a couple different heights. Our taller panels, when the panels are flat, are about eight foot tall. And then when they go to their fullest tilt, they're about five foot six. And then on the shorter part, I think the lowest panels are about six and a half feet when flat, and their full tilt gets down to about four feet. Traditional solar rays in our area, the panel might be flat at four, four and a half feet and get down to lowest edge of maybe two feet off the ground. So just think about trying to limbo underneath two feet versus going underneath a four foot or a five foot six edge. Yeah, I think this is a brilliant approach. So just to give our listeners a little bit of perspective, you've got over 3,000 solar panels. 3,276 solar panels covering just over four acres of land on a previously hay pasture that had likely less than 2% organic matter the time that we checked before we built the solar bay. So did you do any soil preparation before you planted the crops? Before the crops, yes, but not before construction. You want to, before a solar array is built, you need to have as much vegetative cover on the ground as possible so your equipment doesn't sink into the ground. This is why I think a hay field is a great spot to be able to start off with an agrivoltaic system because it's going to have a dominant species of grass that likely has uh, well established roots throughout the ground that can help support the movement of machinery on the ground without too much rutting or damage to the soil. Whereas if it's just bare dirt and vehicles rolling over it, you can imagine all the the dust, topsoil leaping and damage to the soil over time. So once the solar array was built and, and it was operational, producing electricity for about five, six months during the winter time, come early spring, got a tractor out there and ripped and tilled the land around the solar panel. So in between the rows of solar panels, it's about 17 feet. And with my Ford 3000, I was able to get, I think about 14 feet worth of that space ripped and then tilled, creating three crop beds that are about, oh, two to three feet wide in the middle, in between the, the rows of solar panels. And then we work with a local farming organization called Sprout City Farms that has been hiring staff to actually work and grow the crops to be able to sell the crops. And we work with researchers from the University of Arizona, National Renewable Energy Laboratory and Colorado State University to study the the crop growth as well as our grasses that we still left behind. And then uh, certain areas where we've thrown in wildflower seeds. Also, I have uh, about a fifth of an acre where I'm growing medicinal herbs underneath the solar panels and we're we're slowly getting better at that. This is fantastic. Now, I will provide a link to your website where people can see this agrovoltaic system in action. So there are 15 varieties of crops. You provide food for a CSA, farmers markets, and a food bank. If you were to guess how many families you feed on these four acres, what would you guess? Oh, I, I don't have a good guess on that. And it's well over 15 different types of crops that are grown out there. I would say it's 
around 25 to 30 different crops with three to four varieties, I should say, of the different crops that Sprossity Farms are using out there. This past year, they had um, they did the first in the nation CSA underneath solar panels. So people bought in at the beginning of the season and were able to come out to the farm each week to pick up food. I think we only had eight or 10 people doing that, but they also grew 13,000 pounds of food this season. So that was a lot of food that went to donations or to a, a different CSA. Now, some of your listeners are more keen on on the agriculture side might think four acres and 13,000 pounds of food, that's not much. Not all of the land is in crop production. I would say just over two acres is in actual vegetable production. And then the remainder is in research or that fifth of an acre is also in in the herb side. So not all of it is vegetables. <laughs> well, I look at it as 13,000 pounds of food that had not been there before. And it's local food, so it's fresh and it's nutritious. And you're able to produce food via this method where you've got some shade cover. And I want to talk about how the panels work in terms of protecting not only the farm workers, but also the vegetables themselves. And I know you're doing research on crop health and its resilience, how the soil is impacted with the solar panels. Let's talk first about how the shade from the panels help the plants. Sure. When it's bloody hot in the middle of the summertime, a little bit of shade is helpful for everything. I mean, you imagine a bunch of plants that start wilting when it gets 90 plus degrees or even over 100 degrees. Or imagine you have a lot of your leafy greens that once it gets to a certain time of summer, it's consistently a certain temperature. And so they all start bolting. But now that you provide some shade to them, that reduces their thermal stresses, and now they don't bolt as early. So now you extend the growing season of these different crops. Thinking specifically of arugula that typically had bolted in June, and then our very first year of having it out here, it kept going until early August. So that was quite nice to see. It seems that with climate change, certain parts of the country are really struggling with higher heat and less rain. So it seems that what you've created here is a way to produce food where it wasn't being produced and food where people can benefit from also working in less intense temperatures. So for the farm workers and the people who are actively working with the crops, what has their experience been? They share with me that it's nice to always be just a few steps away from shade on the middle of a field. Whereas if there were no solar panels, then they would probably have to walk between 500 and 1,000 feet, depending on where they were, to get underneath the shade of a cottonwood tree. And if it gets over 100 degrees, you know, just taking three steps versus several hundred steps is, is quite different, right? Also, they can have their water bottle in the shade all day long, whereas if you're out in the open, your water bottle is going to just be completely exposed to the hot sun, and then your water is not going to be as refreshing as it would be if it was in the shade. So those are some of the things that our farmers like to talk about. Okay, let me take one break because we're halfway through, and I want to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio and today we are joined by Mr. Byron Kaminick. He is the founder of Jack Solar Garden and executive director of the Colorado Agrivoltaic Learning Center in Boulder County, Colorado. It is the largest commercially active agrivoltaic system in the United States. I was also interested, Byron, in 
what you've found from reduced evaporation of moisture from the soil. So in a part of the country that doesn't get much rain, is under high heat, having reduced evaporation from the soil has got to save costs when it comes to water. And did I hear in one of the webinars that you use half as much water to have the same yields? It depends on the crop and the variety. Some of the research that's being conducted by the University of Arizona is looking at giving the as much water as the farmer believes that the plant needs over the course of the season. And then another plot would be getting half as much of that water. And so then being able to compare the changes in biomass above ground, as well as the flavor of the plants and the quantity that is grown thereafter. And what about nutrient content? Is anybody doing research on that? Oh, I hope that's next. I, I think our friends at the University of Arizona were working on that. Uh, I haven't seen the results yet. I can talk a little bit about uh, flavor differences when you plant the same crop in each of these different microclimates where one side gets morning sun and the other side gets midday sun and the other side gets afternoon sun. And then the middle gets 70% of daily sunlight. The outer beds get 50% of daily sunlight we see that there's distinct taste differences depending on where that plant was put. So you could have uh, a tomato that might taste watery when it's only in the morning sun, whereas in the afternoon sun, it could be more acidic tasting as we found on, on one variety of plants. We found differences in the spinach tasting more minerally when it had direct sunlight and more watery when it had shade at the time that it was picked. So as the panels are rotating and the sun and shade rotate over the field uh, throughout the course of the day with nowhere getting full sun or full shade, you could have that different flavor of, of spinach just depending on what time of day you go out and pick what plant. Which That's amazing. And these are things that you don't learn about when you're cultivating crops out, out in the open because you just don't have any shade to play with. Right. Well, also, I can imagine that with heat stress, you've also got more damage to the plants, whereas you would have less of that when you've got the solar panels. Yeah, I find that, or I should say, we we find that a uh, biomass outside or above ground at our control plot outside of the solar array typically dies off faster than the crops grown underneath the solar panel. So take, for instance, potatoes. You know, when potatoes are ready to harvest, when the above ground biomass is, has gone brown and died off. And that happens outside the solar array much faster than it does underneath the solar array. Right. So that just means that you have to harvest the potatoes earlier outside of the solar array while the plants are still thriving and growing and flowering and taking in sunlight to produce more tubers. So you're producing quality food in a challenged environment, you are producing energy through the sun, and you are conserving water. It seems like that is a win-win-win situation. That's what people say. So with regard to the energy production, you're providing energy for about 300 homes, if I read that correctly from your website. And then do you also have electric tractors that you can use the energy for that too? 
The electricity is tied directly back into the grid. So the moment that the electrons are flowing from the solar panels, they go directly out into the grid and they spurs out. You can just imagine like a river flowing by, which would be our transmission lines. And then I'm taking buckets of water and chucking it into a river. So um, you can't really tell where, where one water drop goes uh, that came from my bucket, you know? I see. So I can't say definitively that the power that we use on farm comes from our solar array, but since we're only 50 feet away from it, you know, it'd be hard pressed to imagine that it doesn't. We don't have any electric tractors on site. Uh, Ours are diesel. I mean, it would be lovely to have one, but I I can't afford an electric tractor at this time. And uh, as, as far as all of our, as far as the power being produced, it's enough for 300 homes. We have 50 residential subscribers, five companies, and two local governments that actually purchase electricity from Jack Solar Garden. That's fantastic. Okay. You also provide webinars for people who want to learn more about this. You've got a fantastic website, by the way. And you have people who come and speak who are also applying this kind of agriculture and solar energy in different parts of the country and world. And they share their experiences too. Tell me from those presentations what you would like our listeners to know. Like what's most exciting that's going on in this field? I like a lot of our listeners to know that it's possible that we can keep using the land underneath solar panels as long as you think about it up front. It takes a little bit of of change to design to the a change to the thought patterns on how we build these systems. So the the top three things I tell folks when they come out for tours here are if you can put the panels up higher, please do. That makes it easier for tall people like me to work in that system. And then also for larger crops and machinery to work out there without having much issue. Two, have good clean wire management. If you have wires strewn about the place, carrying electricity, you have a lot of opportunities for interactions between people, machinery, tools, equipment, animals, and wires. And you don't want any of those engagements. You never want to have an interaction with a person and a wire. So keeping those up, tucked away, flush against things as much as possible, all the better. And three, don't degrade the land during construction. A lot of sites that I've seen online, folks will come in and they will grade the site and then they put in their solar panels thereafter. And once you grade the land, you've destroyed it for a very long time. It is difficult to bring it back. I know some folks talk about, well, you know, you grade it, then you just rip and till those top little inches and you're fine. But man, like you you can't have deep rooted things because you've created a, a hard pan in there that would be so hard to get rid of. So doing as much as possible to not degrade the land, keep as much vegetation there as possible to just hold up all the equipment, all the better. Mm-hmm. You've had webinars on grassland management as well as grape growing. Do you see this taking off in wine? There are people that are looking into this here in the U.S. and they've actually been doing it in France for, I think, close to a decade at least. Okay, so you have events at the farm so people can come out and have social events. So you're really providing a variety of opportunities for funding. You're not just selling food and selling energy. You've also got these other creative ways to bring resources back to the land, back to the farm. You've got educational events. If somebody wants to come and visit your operation, how do they go about doing that? 
Yeah. On our nonprofit website, coagrivoltaic.org, that's where we do all of our bookings for tours during the 2024 season, starting at the end of April until end of October. Every other Saturday, we'll have public tours where folks can sign up online, come out, and it'll just be a regularly scheduled tour. If folks want private tours, then they have to contact us to be able to schedule that. But we typically do that for companies or government entities. If you happen to be out here on the once a month occasion where we have a solo developer workshop or a farm to table dinner or other events out, out on site, then you're lucky and would be able to buy a ticket and come out and, and join us for that too. That sounds great. Okay. Now what about livestock? Do you have animals on the farm and are they grazing some of that land around the panels? I have chickens, ducks, geese, and sheep out on my fields, but they are not underneath the solar panels for the most part. I have taken the sheep out underneath our panels and it hasn't been an issue. We did bring out three Red Angus beef cattle just last year to hang out underneath our panels and graze for a few hours so that we could just watch and see what the animals would do within our solar array. For the most part, you know, when you have good food on the ground, that's what they're going to do. They're just going to eat it. Right. And leave fertilizer for you. Exactly. This is such a great opportunity. Where do you hope to see this go in the future? I hope we get more people interested in the idea of agrivoltaics where we try to incorporate cattle within the solar array. I'd say 30% of our country's land is in rangeland. And a lot of that is out here in the western part of the U.S., where we have a lot of solar assets. That's where a lot of solar energy is going to be built. And how nice would that be to keep our cattle ranchers on land with shade for their cattle while also being able to produce the clean energy society once? I think that'd be a wonderful opportunity. I think um, our friends at Colorado State University coined a term called ecovoltaics, where they are working on figuring out how to incorporate or how to co-prioritize conservation and ecosystem services within solar arrays. So maybe there's partnerships with land trusts or conservation organizations uh, with solar companies. So as they build the solar array, they can become a, a refuge for different types of species of either uh, vegetation or birds or mammals. There's ways to do all of it. It just takes a little bit more time and thought to put into it. Well, again, just as we have public health risks for farm workers, animals too suffer with high heat conditions. So having this operation where they have shade and water protection, it sounds like the perfect way for us to be thinking about the future as we face really hard to manage climate challenges. Absolutely. You know, um, solar rays are a way to mitigate climate change by removing coal-fired power plants and having clean energy being produced there. Agrivoltaics is not only the mitigation of climate change, but also the adaptation to it, where now you have additional shade on the ground that helps to protect plants and people and animals within the solar array. So it's that nice, beautiful combination that can help us out in 10 to 20 years. But, you know, a lot of the solar arrays that are built now are going to be around for the next 30 to 50 plus years. So if we build them in the correct manner now, then that's land that we can use down the line when we really need that shade. Exactly. Well, we are out of time, but I want to 
Thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN in Columbia, Missouri. But most of all, I want to thank my guest, Mr. Byron Kaminick. He is the founder of Jack's Solar Garden and executive director of the Colorado Agrivoltaic Learning Center in Boulder County, Colorado. It is the largest commercially active agrivoltaic system in the United States and a fantastic learning and research center. Thank you so much for giving us hope as we face these challenging times. Hope's out there. You just got to dream it and then go get it. Well, thank you for your part. Pleasure. Pleasure.